wife and I have been married for almost 17 years. And uh, as David says, she's the best part of this thing. So if you, if you haven't met me, that's okay. But if you haven't met my wife, you are missing out. Let me just tell you. Uh, but about 17 years ago, we got, we got married and we went on our first vacation, our, our first year of marriage. And uh, we went to Seattle. And I think we have a picture we can throw up on the screen. We went to Mount Rainier. Now, if you look at that picture... Once you get past your laughter, you, you'll see uh, one of these things is not like the other. Amen? Uh, you got a beautiful mountain in the background. You got a beautiful woman. And then you have me. <laughs> and what, what, the reason I want to show you this picture is because of the shirt I'm wearing. You can kind of see it. It's a Red Sox shirt. Now, here's what you need to know about this shirt. Is I, I'm not a Red Sox fan, never have been. But I just liked this shirt. You see, when I was in high school, uh, my friend worked for a screen printing company, and any shirts that they messed up, he would give them to me and our other friends. And I found this, this Red Sox shirt at the screen printing shop, and I just really liked the way it fit. You ever had a shirt like that? And I just wore it all the time in high school, in college, as an undershirt, as a shirt to church. Like, I wore it all the time. I wore it to Mount Rainier in Seattle on my first vacation with my wife. I love this shirt. And I realized in, in marriage, and you know this, married couples, that a lot of things change in marriage. Like when you get married, like the, the single you dies. It's a funeral as well as a wedding, amen? And a lot of the ways you used to do things, the way you spent money, the way you spent your time, the way you used your talent, the way you used your words. When you get married, those things need to die. Well, in our marriage, another thing that needed to die was that t-shirt. <laughs> you see, I don't, and I don't know if you've been there before, like, have you ever worn a shirt so much, like, even when you wash it, like, really good, it still stinks? I, I don't know if you've worn a shirt where it's just like, like, you haven't gotten bigger, like, I didn't get bigger, no way, but the shirt shrinks, right? That's what happens. And it was just time for it to go, and my wife uh, God bless her heart. She eventually, after this vacation, she's like, hey, we need to kill that shirt. <laughs> we need to put it to death, as Paul is going to tell us this morning. Now, here, here's the reason why I, I start with that is because that is where we are in the book of Colossians. We're in a series, if you're new, entitled Hold It Together in the book of Colossians in our New Testament. And we've been in Colossians 1 and 2, and now we're in Colossians chapter 3. And up until this point, it's mostly been about who Jesus is and what he has done. But Colossians chapter 3 is kind of a, a pivot point in the book where it starts to focus on not what Jesus has done, but what we do in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. And it's going to give us some things to put away, and it's going to give us some things to put on, and it's around this imagery of, of clothes, that the reality is, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, I know not everybody in this room has. We love it that you are here. But if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, there are some things that don't any longer fit you. There's some clothes that you're still trying to finagle and put on that you wore in high school, that you wore in college, and they kind of stink, to be honest with you. There, there's some behaviors that just don't fit you anymore. And Paul's going to give us those as we look at our passage today. And he's going to say, you need to take them off. And then you need to put some new clothes on. It's the clothes of the kingdom, not the clothes of the culture. 
It's the clothes of Christ, the character of Christ, everything that we've been reading about in the book of Colossians about who Christ is as a believer in Christ. You're invited to put to death some things, to take off some, some old clothes that don't really fit anymore as a believer in Jesus and instead put on some new clothes, the character of Christ. And so we're going to look at that together today. I'd invite you to grab a Bible if you haven't already and look with me at Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read 1 through 17. And listen, as a, as a preacher, you know, I'm always trying to get better as a preacher. And some of the things I, I read and watch about how to do that are like, hey, don't read a lot of scripture all at once. Uh, we need more of a TED talk. Like people can't keep up. They can't stay engaged and pay attention. Today, we're going to prove them wrong. Amen? Amen? Okay, y'all help me out here. Let's, let's prove them wrong. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, here's the imagery of clothes again, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And he wraps it all up. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father through him. Here's our first point, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. Our first point is this, that changing your activity to look more like Christ is impossible without first rooting your identity in Christ. Let me repeat that. Changing your, your activity to be more like Christ is impossible without first rooting your identity in Christ. Now, we're going to talk about identity because that's what Paul talks about in this scripture. But, but first, you need to know this. There's, there's a few different ways we establish our identity. A friend of mine named Luke Simmons, who's a pastor here in the Valley, I've gotten to spend some time with recently and kind of learn from a little bit, has always looked to, to grow and get better as a pastor and a preacher. He talked about it this way, and I think it was really helpful. He said, there's basically three ways to establish identity. Anybody, whether you're a believer or not. One way is inherited identity. 
This would most often be seen in in other cultures and other nations that kind of have a cultural identity. Just because you you grew up in that culture, you inherit your family's identity in that culture. My wife is one of these people. Uh, My wife is originally from India. She grew up here, but her family, uh, born in India, lived in India, moved over to the United States. And, And just by my wife's last name, her maiden name, it's Bhattacharya. Say that three times fast. Bhattacharya. Just by that last name, if my father-in-law, who talks to a lot of people, anybody he meets, but especially if he talks to another Indian person, and he says, hey, my last name is, is Bhattacharya, my name is Praveer Bhattacharya, that just because of that last name, they will know, the other Indian person will know where he's from in India, what part, what region. They will know the language that they speak and they will know kind of where they are in the caste system, where they are, like their prestige as a, a family, just from the last name. And that's like one brief conversation. They don't know my father-in-law. They don't know his, his resume, his personality. They just know his family of origin, his family background. And through all of that, they get the identity. Now, some of you may not have that culturally, but you have it vocationally. Your identity is inherited from what your father or mother did for a living. So some of you, your your father was an attorney and your great-grandfather was an attorney. And so therefore your identity is you're going to be an attorney. For some of you, your mom was a teacher and your grandmother was a teacher. And so you're going to be a a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or whatever the case may be. You have an identity that is completely inherited, The second way we establish an identity is maybe not inherited, but constructed. Uh, Now, we deal with this a lot in America. We we construct our own own identity, like in a capitalistic society, like we can be be whoever we want. We can be self-made men or or women. We have a constructed identity. And so you see this a lot in, in social media right now. You project your identity, like who you spend time with, what you look like, the vacations you go on, and that's your identity. And you don't think about that all the way through as you post about it, but when somebody doesn't like your post, you really start to think about, who am I? How come nobody's paying attention to me? And the reason that that hurts so much is it goes back to your identity, And maybe for some of you, you're like, well, I'm not on social media, Tim. I got off a long time ago in the last election, and praise God that you did that. But for some of you, it's just the people you actually see at work and the position that's listed on your business card or not. The job you have or the job you lost, the, the spouse you have or the spouse you're still hoping finds you one day. And your identity is constructed, not inherited. See, here's the reality for believers in Jesus is our identity isn't inherited and it's not constructed. It is entirely received. That there's this beautiful phrase, in Christ, 15 times in 95 verses, in Christ. You are in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you are in Jesus. You're wrapped in Jesus. That's your identity. And you cannot achieve it. You cannot inherit it. You can only receive it. And we see that very vividly. Look at the text with me in verses three and four. We, we see this identity in Christ is really all encompassing past, present, and future. Look at it with me. It says, you have died. That's, that's your past. Your life is hidden. That's your present. 
When Christ appears one day in the future, you will appear with him. You are wrapped in your identity, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. And we just receive that by faith. And listen, this is so important for you to know as as we're going to continue in this text. You're going to see a list of things that you need to do. But none of that list of things makes sense of what to do unless you get firm on who you are in Christ. See, our culture often does this backwards. They'll say what you do determines who you are. I remember watching the movie Batman Begins, like the best Batman movie that ever existed. I don't know if you saw it. Kristen Bale. And there's a, a moment in the movie where Kristen Bale, Batman, is saying, hey, hey, my identity is not found in, in who I am inside, but it's found in what I do. And it's this climactic point of the movie like he realizes that like, that's actually the truth. And biblically, it couldn't be further from the truth. Your identity is all that Christ, he raised you to life. You just receive it. It's not in what you do, it's in who you are. And who you are starts to inform and affect everything you do. And here's why this is so important. It's important theologically, but it's also important practically. Some of you are going through life trying to change your activity and it's completely detached from your identity in Christ. Even as we read some of that list and it talked about sexual immorality and impurity and anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Some of you think, well, yeah, I got some, th- some of those things in my activity and they need to change. Like, I think everybody here, I mean, you came to church today. You could be a lot of other places today. I think everybody here, you have things in your life activities that you would like to change. And if you don't, I can give you one. It's called pride. Okay. Everybody in here, we got some things in our life we're not proud of. We got some, some private sins that nobody knows about that we're not proud of. We got some respectable sins that if we really assess like our gossip and the way we're trying to get ahead at work, and we're not really proud of those things. We're not proud of the way we talk to our wife all the time. And you want those things to change but you're just looking at your activity and not your identity. And there's no power or hope for those activities to change unless you first root in your identity in Christ. Amen? This is why we're in chapter three with this list, not chapter one. You see, sequence is significant. Some of you, you're brand new to church, and we love it that you're here. And you you heard that list of stop doing these things, start doing these things. And you thought, here we go again. Repressive Christianity. Just stop doing a lot of things because God's wrath is coming. You should be ashamed of yourself and start doing these things. It's just this legalistic, religious personal practice that I got to start doing. It's the new year. Like I know January is a long way away at this point, but it's just like new year's resolutions. You're like, there's all these things wrong with me. I need to start doing new things. I need to come to church, read my Bible, pray more and talk bad, talk talk less about uh, bad things about my wife and bad things about people at work and stop having sex with this person I'm not married to. And it's just, you feel guilty and shameful in church. You're like, this is why I don't come to church, Tim. And you need to know, as you parachute in here in chapter 3, this list is in chapter 3, not chapter 1. And Paul didn't start with this list. He started with Jesus Christ. 
In chapter one, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him, through him, for him, all things were created. In fact, he has reconciled you to himself. Chapter two, that he has disarmed the rulers and authorities of the world and he put them to open shame, not you. Amen? Chapter one, chapter two, it's all about who Jesus is, his character and his nature, his person and his work. And then in chapter three, in light of that, here's what you should do. You see, this is one of those moments, we've got a lot of high school students in here, this is gonna be fun, where grammar is beautiful. You didn't know that, did you? You don't like grammar, but here's where grammar is beautiful. Look at verse one with me. It says, if then, some translations may say, since you have been raised with Christ. In verse five, look at that verse. It says, put to death, therefore, since, therefore, beautiful, profound, amazing. Y'all should be saying amen to that. Since you have been raised with Christ, not in order to be raised with Christ. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's all the stuff in chapters one and chapters two about what Jesus has accomplished for you. Now you live in light of that, not you live in order to obtain that. Anybody listening to me today? You receive this identity, you root yourself in this identity, and then, your behavior, your activity starts to change. And friends, there is no other hope. There is no other power. There's no white knuckling it. There's no strategy. There's no self-help. There's no essential oil. There's no kale or superfood that you can eat. It's only rooting in your savior, Jesus Christ. Whether this is your first Sunday ever in church, you're not even a believer yet, you need to know that. Or whether you grew up in this church, you grew up in a pew. It's the same for all of us. So the, the hope for our activity to change is that we root further and further in Christ because he's that powerful, he's that good. He really disarmed everything and put them to open shame. That's who we wanna root in to change our lives. There's no other power. There's no other strategy. So now we can get to our list. <laughs> Here's our second point. Got too excited, couldn't find it. All right, here's our second point if you take notes. While your position in Christ never changes, your practices should continually change as you daily put off the old self and put on the new self. Your, your position in Christ never changes, that's secure in Christ. He did it all, he can't lose you. Right? You can't lose him. Your position never changes, but your practices should continually change as you daily put off the old self and put on the new self. Uh, we say it this way, that we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. Now, as your pastor, one of my prayers is that our church would always be a place where hurting people, struggling people could come in here and find healing and know that they're loved that you could invite people like that on Easter. It would be a great time to do it in the next several weeks. That you could invite people who are struggling in your life, who, who need some hope in your life. Maybe that's even you this morning. And that anybody in this community, in this city, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, would know that God loves them. 
that he wants them, that he doesn't just love a future version of them. He loves the, the current reality of who they are. And that's what we say, this imperfect people. It's because we want to embrace those kinds of people. We want to see a church that's a hospital for sinners. That's the kind of church we want to be. And yet, it's imperfect people who are moved by the perfect love of Jesus. That that we don't want you to, to stay where you've been. We want you to go somewhere else because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him, through him, for him, all things were created and you're part of that creation, interacting with other parts of creation. And if we have the one, think about this. If we have the creator and sustainer of all things, he's the one we follow. And he's given us a list like this, a way to go about life, practices, activities to have in our lives. And he created everything, the way to find meaning, life, and pleasure, and purpose. Shouldn't we listen to him? Shouldn't we grow in his ways? And so I I know we, we we don't actually love lists, right? We don't actually love stop doing this, start doing this, but but we're hearing it from a a loving creator who wants what's best for you, who wants to save you from pain and death in your life. And so we want imperfect people, but that are moved by the perfect love of Jesus to start resembling the character of Jesus, to put off some old ways and put on some new ones. And that's what we see. And there's a lot of them. So I'm going to have them on the screen here for you. There's two columns. Uh, Again, you can take notes. You can try to take a picture of this when they put it up. But there's two columns, putting off your old self and then putting on your new self. Let's look at putting off your old self verses five through nine first. Uh, There's lots of things, but as I read this, as I studied this, they kind of all fit under this banner of what he mentions, covetousness and idolatry. Covetousness and idolatry. It's wanting things over and above God and using people to get them. That's what covetousness, that's what idolatry really is. And then if you look at the rest of this list, it really falls into that idea. You see sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. It's all around sexual sin, sexual idolatry. It's not loving, giving, serving someone else in the covenant of marriage. It's using them for your own purposes. It's objectifying them for your own purposes. And Paul says, hey, those are some old clothes in which you once walked. They don't fit anymore. They're starting to smell and you need to take them off. But he doesn't stop with with our lives sexually. He goes on to our lives emotionally. He talks about anger and wrath and malice. These are intentionally doing harm to others. He talks about our words, slander, obscene talk. Slander is is hurting people by talking about them to other people. Obscene talk is talking directly to them to hurt them. And it's all under this idea of covetousness, idolatry. It's, It's putting things in your life that you want, whether it's someone else's body or it's someone else's things. And you're gonna say, hey, a Before God and before other people, I'm going to go get those things. Whatever that thing is for you, whether it's material things or or sexual things or financial things or words and power in your life, it's saying, I'm going to go get those things and I don't care what happens to you as long as I get them. I'm going to use people and get things. 
And Paul says, you need to take those clothes off. That doesn't fit you anymore. It's starting to smell. That's not consistent with the clothes of Christ. Those are the clothes of the culture. See, I think when we hear a list like this, and specifically when we see, if you saw it with me, that that God's wrath, verse 6, you see that? God's wrath is coming on account of these things. Again, I think, I think many of us, man, you're not perfect. We already established that. And you can look in your past life. You can look at some of you in your present life. And you're like, well, I got some anger. I mean, I did yell at my wife last night. I lost my temper. I mean, I, you know, I did ask some people to pray for this other person. But if I'm honest, that was really just a way to slander them and gossip. You know, if I'm honest, like, man, I, I, I haven't committed adultery, but man, I, sometimes I look at images online that I shouldn't look at and, and that sexual immorality where it's the word porneia in the original language and that encompasses a lot of things. But one of the things it does talk about is pornography. And some of us, we, we can examine our lives and I would encourage you to do that and start to look at your life and see the gap between your identity and your activity. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I, that's not very fun. I didn't come to church to feel bad about myself. But that, that God, God laid these things before you so you could see, here's your identity in Christ, the character and nature, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's some activity in my life. And for some of you, that gap is this wide. And for some of you, that gap is this wide. But either way, God has called you here by appointment, not by accident, to start to see those things change in your life for his glory and your good. That is why you're here. And I know it's a little uncomfortable. But the reason why we look at these things is not so we can say, well, oh yeah, Christianity's so repressive and oh God, I failed you again. And oh, I know I'm not a perfect person. I know I'm so shameful, I'm so guilty. That The reason is not those things. The reason is so you can reorient your activity around your identity in Christ, which is the creator of the universe who designed all of these things, sexually, your words, financially, all of these things. He designed them. He knows how to use them to get life and joy and meaning and purpose. And he doesn't want you to experience the pain and destruction and death that's associated with misusing these things. He wants you to use them for his glory, for for your good. And so he says, put them away. Take that shirt off, burn it. Put it to death, he says. That, that in the original language, it has this idea of a decisive action using lethal force to end something. I, I think for many of us, if we were to look at the way we deal with some of these things like sexual immorality and obscene talk and, and wrath and malice and anger, we don't put them to death. We kind of just put them to the side. Uh, when my kids were, were little, when they were toddlers and kind of growing out of the toddler stage, we had bukus of these old toys and like stuffed animals and all these sorts of things. And my kids were all kind of graduating out of that phase. Praise Jesus, right? And we got to start getting rid of stuff. We got to start uh, getting rid of stuff that did not give us joy, right? And the way we started to do that is we got all our kids, hey, hey, put all the stuff that you don't play with anymore, put it in a box, And so my kids are getting stuff, and of course they're like, no, not like Stuffy Turtle. And we're like, you haven't played with Stuffy Turtle in three years. Put it in the box, right? 
And they're going to get all these little stuffed animals and they're, they're putting them in the box and they're putting them in the box. And the idea was, is that we would take all these boxes away from our house and give them to Goodwill. But as we got busy in life, the, the boxes were just kind of sitting there and they, they, they never made it to Goodwill. They just made it to the corner of everybody's room. And so you see my kids, they could still see the, like, the turtle and they could still see their other toys that they used to love so much. And what they would do is they would go back over to them because they were still right there and they would just look at it again and be like, well, I didn't think I wanted a little mermaid, but gosh, that was a good movie. <laughs> and I'm just going to get it. I'm going to pick it up. I'll just play with it one more time. And then we would come into their room and we'd see it. It wasn't in the box. It was like in their bed. Or they were actually playing with it. We're like, no, 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 that's supposed to go away. That's an old toy. They're like, no, but I, but I, I was thinking about it. I love the Little Mermaid. I love Stuffy Turtle. See, many times this is what we do with, with sin. With sin sexually, you think, man, maybe you should delete that app. Maybe you should like actually get it. Maybe you should get a different kind of phone. Maybe you should put a filter on your phone. You're like, no, I'll just, I'll just keep it. And every once in a while, I won't look at it all the time. I'll limit, I'll restrain myself. And you kind of just put it in the box in the corner of the room. Like, no, you should get it out of the house, take it to Goodwill, like burn it, get it, get rid of it completely. No, 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 I'll just, I'm a self-disciplined person. I can do this. Like, I'm just going to kind of put it over here. And for a while that works, right? For a few days, for a few weeks, for, for a few months, until you look over there and you see that little mermaid, you see that little stuffed turtle, you see that lust, you see that image, and you're like, well, I mean, I did have a lot of fond memories with that. I mean, that was a nice place to escape. You know, life's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to love my spouse. It's kind of hard. I got all this pressure on me. You know what? Maybe if I just get over it, I just get it out of the box, and I just hold it and play with it for a little while. Couldn't hurt anything. And then what happens? That guilt, that shame begins to swarm over you. You thought you were done with it. You, you thought, well, I, I put it over here. Yet you never put it to death. You never took lethal force. You never had that decisive action. You didn't take off the Red Sox shirt and burn it like you should have. And listen, some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that sexually, that's not really my thing. Okay, let's talk about your thing. What is it? Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's greed and, and shopping till you drop. Maybe it's envy and looking at everybody else's life on social media. And you're just like, I got to have those things. I can't, if I take them all away, what will happen? Well, let me tell you what is happening now. It's killing you. John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the way it works. So Paul says, God says, you put it to death. You don't keep it as a pet. You put it to death. You take it off. You have some new clothes, not clothes of the culture, clothes of the kingdom. And some of us, we hear all this and we're like, Tim, why are you yelling so much? And why is God's wrath, why, is, why does it have to be so hard like this? And Christianity is so repressive. I just, I want to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And this, these things sexually, these things financially, they'll make me happy. Christianity is so repressive. And anytime I hear that, it always boggles my mind because I, I think about it this way. Like, if I were to say to you, I hate drunk driving. What if you said to me back, like, Tim, what do you got against cars? 
why you don't you don't like trucks, you don't like cars, you just like to ride your bike. Like what? Why do you hate drunk driving? And I would say, oh no, no, you have it all wrong. I actually love cars. I love like different colors of cars. If you'd like to buy me a new car, I will take one. I love cars. I love them so much. What I hate is the misuse of them. What I hate is when people get hurt by them. It'd be like if I were to say, man, I, I hate child abuse, and I do. Oh, Tim, I, what do you got against kids? They're cute. They play with all those toys. It's amazing. What do you got against kids? Oh, oh, I think you misunderstand. I love kids so much that I hate when they're abused. You see, when you see God talk about these things and say his wrath is coming for these things, wrath is not the opposite of love. It's a function of it. The reason God's wrath is coming for your sexual sin and your, your, your sin with your words and your anger and your malice, the reason he hates these things so much is because he loves you so much. And he loves words so much. And he loves emotions. And he loves sex so much. I don't know if you know this. God created sex. It was his idea. At the very beginning, you look at the first two commands that we are given as a human race. It's to eat of these good trees. And it's also to be fruitful and multiply. And how does being fruitful and multiply happen? Sex. <laughs> It was God's idea. He loves sex. He hates it when you misuse it. He hates it when you use people. God loves emotions. He hates it when you use them to put others down. God loves words. We have all kinds of words in our, in our English language. God loves those words. He created those words. He hates it when you use them to cut other people down, to gossip. And he says, hey, you, you're not taking it serious enough. Put them to death. Don't put them in the corner. Some of you need to hear this. Stop playing with sin. It will kill you. It will kill your relationships. Put it away. And if you think about it practically, again, to use the imagery of taking off clothes and putting new ones on, you have to take some clothes off to put some new ones on. Amen? Right? And as you, as you take some clothes off, nobody wants you to be naked. We, we want you to take those clothes off and put some kingdom clothes on. And so if I can transition, I know that was heavy, but let's transition to the character of Christ that you should put on. Look at that list. It's compassionate hearts. That literally means co-passion. Passion means pain. And when you're compassionate, when you put those new shirts on, those kingdom clothes on, those Christ clothes on, it's recognizing that other people aren't meant to be used. They're meant to be cared for. You're meant to come alongside them. You're meant to have compassion. Put that shirt on. It fits you better. You're meant to put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing, and forgiving. I love that as I read all of those, that all of those are interacting with others. None of these are privatized, individualized. They're all relational. You see, many times I think with our sin and some of the ones I just got through mentioning, you think, well, no, that's sin, that's just me. That's just affecting me. And the Bible would say, no, it's not. That everything is relational. The way you treat other people, whether you're sinning or whether you're living like Christ, it all affects other people. That's why he uses that word new self. That, that word literally means new humanity. It is you personally, but it's also us corporately. That God is changing something. He's giving us all new clothes. See, as your pastor, one of my burdens for us, one of my prayers for us 
is that we would embody the clothes of Christ. That, that so many things, like on Easter, there's going to be a lot more people here. And, and some of them have never been to church. And some of them don't know who Jesus Christ is. Listen, I'm going to preach a sermon on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give it everything I have. But you need to know the best sermon that's ever given is you, not me. It's the way you treat each other. It's the way you show and exemplify kindness and patience and humility and love, this, this belt that binds everything else together. The best message that anybody's going to hear or see about the gospel of Jesus Christ is not your preacher. It's the body of Christ on display in the community. That it's all interlocked. And so we put on these clothes. And listen, I... I know as a newer church, new unified church, man, I, I want to, the way we talk to each other, but also the way we talk about each other, the way some of you, and I mean, some of you guys are going to date each other, the way, you, the way you treat each other sexually, the way you honor each other, the way you interact with each other, you're not covetousness. That doesn't, that, that's not the clothes that defines our church, Phoenix Bible Church. No, it's generosity, the way we give to God, the way we give to others. And that message would be preached in our city as they're looking on, wondering, is any of this vertical relationship with Jesus real? And the way that they see that is in the horizontal ways we interact with each other. These are our kingdom clothes that we put on in Christ because of our identity in Christ. And we put off anything else that doesn't resemble that. How do we do that? I want to give you two questions as we close. Two questions to reflect on as you go to lunch today, with your spouse today, with your roommates today, with your friends later today, by yourself. Where is there an evident gap between your identity and activity? What clothes, if you're honest, everybody's thinking about that one thing. If you're honest, it doesn't fit you anymore. And every day you keep trying to put it on. What is that? Something should be coming to your mind right now. Where is there a gap? between your identity and your activity. Second question is, what step can you take today to put off your old self and put on your new self? Maybe for some of you that's getting baptized in several weeks to publicly say, hey, I wanna take my faith public. I wanna publicly proclaim that I'm gonna follow Jesus and, and no other, that I, that I have new kingdom clothes. I wanna put them on and share that with the body of Christ. And you need to sign up to get baptized. You've never done that. For some of you, it's confession and, and repentance. For some of you, it's, it's actually naming the sins. That's confession. Like naming them to God. Not trying to disguise them as like, well, I, I make some mistakes or I have some regrets. But naming them by the, the sin and, and just saying, God, I, I give that to you. Forgive me of that. I repent of that. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to take off those clothes. I'm going to make some decisive actions. That's confession and repentance. That's a lot of how we put off our old self and put on our new, new self. And then for all of us, it's, it's this verse of letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, letting the word of Christ dwell richly in our hearts. David mentioned my dad. Some of you may have not caught that, but I was in Dallas, Texas last weekend as my dad had a major surgery for some cancer that he has in his esophagus. And I got to just stay in the hospital on a love seat uh, for five days. It was very comfortable, very lush. Don't be jealous. And I, I remember a Sunday and my dad had surgery a few days prior and he hadn't been able to eat yet. So he had a feeding tube. 
And I was hungry. <laughs> and I, I ate last night. Um, and I remember Sunday morning rolls around and I'm thinking my dad's going to be like, man, I got to have some food. I got to have something to drink because that was on its way. And yet that wasn't what he was thinking about or talking about or yearning for. What he was yearning for is the TV on the wall to be a smart TV because it wasn't. So he could watch his church service and ours on the TV big where he could see it. And he could get God's word that way. And so he was calling in the nurses, trying to fix the TV. And I said, Dad, it's just an older TV. It doesn't work like that. And so we, we got out a, devo a devotional for Lent. And as we lead up to Easter and the cross and the resurrection, and we read that. And I saw in a person, someone who is hungry for the word of God more than he was hungry for food. And I didn't just have surgery and I got to eat the night before and I was, all I could think about was food. <laughs> and the food in the hospital is not even good, people. And I just, I wanted that food. And I thought my dad, like, he wants the word of Christ to dwell in him richly, not some mashed potatoes. And it was just, my dad's not a perfect man, but I just thought, okay, if he can do that, what would it look like if I did that? What would it look like if we did that? If we asked the, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, to rule over our lives, to, to rule over our sin, to be enough for us, that we could take off these things that we thought would give us pleasure and meaning and purpose, that we could take those things off. And we could put on a different set of clothes. And what if we hungered for that, like that, more than food, more than other things? I think that's where the answer lies of what this looks like to put on new clothes, to put on kingdom clothes, to put on the character of Christ. It's not just enough to put some things to death. We have to start there, but we have to want Jesus Christ. We have to want his word to dwell richly, not scarcely, but richly in our lives. Do you want that? And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. And so I'm going to have the band come back up. The choir is going to come up and sing. And we're going to try something a little bit differently. Uh, we're going to have some people down front over here on my right and my left who would love to pray with you. Who would love, maybe it's confession or repentance. Maybe it's some general just ask for help in your life. You've got some clothes that don't fit and you can't get them over your head without some help. Amen? We, we need each other. And there's a lot of people getting up and you're thinking, well, I don't want anybody to see me. They don't know if you're coming up to sing in the choir or if you're coming for prayer. So it's okay, okay? And it would just, what if you hungered after God so much that honestly you didn't care what other people thought? But you said, today I'm gonna move. I'm gonna put on some new clothes. I'm gonna do it in my relationship with God. I'm gonna do it in my marriage and my friendships. I'm gonna see those things change for the glory of God and for my good. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing. And then I would invite you, if you want prayer, come over to my right or to my left. And there's some men and women who would love to pray with you. Let's respond together. Father in heaven. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Jesus. God, I thank you for our identity that's rooted in him. God, I pray that we would seek him and set our eyes upon him. 
and that the things in our life that don't fit with him, we would begin to kill. I know we're not gonna do that in one moment and the snap of a finger, but we would start to walk with other people who love us like you love us. And we would start to kill these things in our life, take off these old clothes in our life of the culture. We'd start to put on the character of Christ. God, we can't do that. So we pray that you would do it through us. As we come down for prayer, as we stand and, and sing, as we maybe sit privately where we are and just confess some things in our lives that don't fit anymore. And we would experience your forgiveness and your grace and your love. And we'd walk in that and we'd wear clothes like that for your glory and our joy. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.